We start really a new section in Romans today. It's, a, it's really a, a fun and important section, but it's again filled with deep theolo- uh, theology. And essentially, Paul starts this section, these next four chapters, where he really talks about the security that we have in Christ. He starts it by telling us that because of the justification we have through faith in Jesus Christ, we are now at peace with God. We are now at peace. The implication of that, though, is that if we're now at peace with God, it means that we were once at war with God. And in fact, Scripture tells us that we were born at war with God. In Psalm 51, King David says that we were conceived in sin. That because of the fall, the original sin that occurred in Genesis chapter 3, we're actually conceived in sin and we were born as sinners by nature. And because we are sinners by nature, that means we are at war with God, with a holy God. And it's manifested in several different fronts, this war with God that we have or have had. We're at war with ourselves, first of all. We are disconnected from ourselves. In the beginning, God actually gave us an identity. In Genesis chapter 1, He gives us an identity. And we have rebelled against that identity from the very beginning. We rebel against that identity and we seek to reconstruct our identity through things that will never satisfy us. We try to construct and reconstruct our identity through our sexuality. Which if you really think about it, sexuality is good. God has given that to us as a gift, but... It's, it's never going to sustain you as an identity. It's never going to sustain you as fulfillment. But we try to construct our identity through our sexuality. We try to construct our identity through gender. We try to construct our identity through our education. We, we do it through the, the causes that we embrace and we advocate for. We try to construct our identities through our technology. And through this this identity crisis that we have, we end up warring against ourselves in an effort to try to find ourselves. Well, God has already found us and He's already given us, given us an identity. And just to be sure, He gives us again a new identity through rebirth through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 is all about. I call that the identity chapter. If you want to know, if you're in Christ and you want to know what your identity was and is, you should read Ephesians chapter 2. It'll enlighten you. And so the result of, of this warring with ourselves because we're without the saving grace and justification of Jesus, that's actually a manifestation of the war that we have with God. We're also at war with each other. We try not to be and we pretend we aren't. We've, we've created platitudes and cliches that make us feel good about how we feel about each other even though we really don't feel that way about each other. But we're at war with each other. But this war with others is again actually a, just a war with God because God calls us to 
love others as ourself. He calls us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says that we're not to do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider everyone else better and more important than we are. And the net result is that because we don't do that, we're at war with God. By warring with others, we're at war with God. We're also at war with the creation. We're at war with our resources. And that also means we're at war with God. He, he's, he's created all of this for us. And, and, then he, and then He calls us to be thoughtful stewards of everything that He's created. And we get to use the resources He's given us, but we're to use them responsibly and well and justly and righteously. And when we don't, we're at war with God. And as a result of all of that, at worst, we are at war with God. We, we, are, we are discontent. We're discontent with who we are. We're discontent with others. We're discontent with what we have. And we're frustrated and we're confused and, and we're all tied up in knots. And we don't know what to do about it and so we keep looking for something. We're desperately seeking peace. All of us are. It's kind of funny. Um, Two things that the human condition claims it wants more than anything else, if you just listen, are freedom and peace. And there's actually only one thing that will give you both, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the only thing that can give us both of those things, freedom and peace. And it's true of every aspect of our life. All of life is all for Jesus. It's true for work. I know work is hard, but if you're looking for an ultimate peace at work, it's going to come through the gospel. It's true for your family. It's true if you're single. It's true for sexuality. It's true for school and athletics and politics. The life, execution, and resurrection of Jesus reigns victorious over evil, sin, and death. And as a result... We have both freedom and peace. We have freedom from sin, which gives us peace with a holy God. And that in turn gives us peace with ourselves and peace with others and peace with the creation. The problem is, is that most people reject it. They just do. Most people reject it. Choosing instead to remain in bondage to sin and at war with self and others and creation and with God. Yet we seek those two things desperately and the irony is that we will enslave ourselves to anything and we will war with anything in order to find that peace and freedom that we so desperately want and God looks at this and he just shakes his head and he continues to relentlessly love us anyway he continues to relentlessly pursue us anyway through his son Jesus Christ we are at war. And apart from Jesus Christ, we don't know peace. We don't, do not have peace. And we cannot even be transforming agents of peace for other people apart from Christ. You know, for more than a year now, Sean Myers has been a pastoral resident with us. Most of you know him. If you're new here, this will be your first time that you've been introduced to Sean. But most of you know uh, Sean. He's been with us since April of 2012. Uh, our hope, our dream, our goal is that someday he's going to plant a church for redemption somewhere on the northwest side. We're hoping that it might even happen next year, maybe around this time. 
It's not a done deal yet, but that's our hope and our prayer that we're going to be able to do that. I've gotten to work with him now for the last 18 months, and I'll have at least another 12 working closely with him. And I have loved working with this guy. He's young, he's energetic, he's smart. I've enjoyed learning from him, and I found also that he is really teachable, and I've enjoyed watching him learn as, as he's been led and guided by uh, people like Tyler and, and, and Johnson and, and Luke Simmons and Sean Johnson and the other elders here at, at Arcadia and other pastors and elders across all of Redemption. It's been, it's been wonderful. And, and you know that he's been preaching fairly regularly and he's going to continue to do that. And by regularly, we mean like once a month. At least once a month, he'll, he'll be up here. Well, Sean was somebody who was at war with God and who now has peace with God, as, as Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says. And so I wanted to use this opportunity to let Sean tell a little bit more of his story in a more uh, continuous way and so I'm going to bring him out here and just ask him a couple of questions and kind of let him go to it, uh, maybe for the next 15 minutes. And I want you to hear his story because it's a remarkable story. We're going to do the stool thing. All right, I'm going to go get mine then too. Okay. Fill, fill the gap there, Sean, will you, while I'm over here? Good job. <laughs> here we go. All right, buddy. Oh, I'm sorry. All right, bro. Good to see you. So, uh, one of the things that I really would like people to hear is a little bit more about um, what it was like, your life just growing up in the Phoenix area. You were also in Texas for a little while. Just sort of what all that was like, your family life and, and all of that stuff. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, so maybe for some of you, like I said, this might be a little bit repetitive, but I'll, I'll go through so, so we can help you on the same page. So, I, I grew up... Um, not in a Christian home. Um, when, I, when I grew up, I grew up here in the Valley. Spent um, all my life in the Valley. I said this little snippet in Texas, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But um, growing up, both my parents were drug addicts. And so um, I spent a huge portion of my life just kind of in the slums of Phoenix, uh, sleeping in cars. Um, I mean, a big portion of just me growing up was us kind of sneaking in hotels uh, and staying there until someone would knock on the door uh, and kick us out. And so for me, I mean, uh, you know, in that environment, growing up, you, you have everything that it entails, right? So, so I'd been a part of a lot of drug busts when I was a kid, you know, the whole bus in, um, guns of guns blazing, you know, my mom's trying to flush down her dope down the toilet, it's just this, this mess. Um, and, and in that whole environment, you can see kind of the, the fruits of just being at war with God. You know, crazy story. When I was in second grade, we, uh, we had lived in a house. So my mom and dad were never married, both met meth addicts. My dad has a girlfriend. My mom has a boyfriend. We're living with my aunt and uncle. My aunt and uncle has five, have five kids. My dad's girlfriend has four kids. My mom has three kids. And we're in a two-bedroom house, a tiny two-bedroom house. And somehow, between all these drug addicts, they can't pay the light bill. Um, and so, um, that was, I guess it'd be funny if you were a drug addict. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, so they, they, you know, we did everything by candlelight. We just did, you know, the extreme nature of kind of what even drugs as and the, what was normal to me was um, we did everything through kind of propane, lantern propanes, and my aunt and uncle, and I don't want to downplay who they are because I'm a big goal to bring them to Christ level in my life, but um, they, were, they were transferring propane. They thought if they took a big thing of propane and pushed it, just pushed it against a little open, open up that the propane would transfer over. 
Um, problem is they're doing this by candlelight. Um, and so, yeah, so the house goes, go, I mean, it, it was just, I mean, that's just kind of what was life. Um, so, growing up in that for a little while, my seventh grade year in the junior high, and get home up to this point, my mom obviously has been doing with that, I've been with her for the longest period at this point, and she had spent uh, that whole school year, um, and I told some of you guys this story before, but she had built a car from the ground up, um, this little Dotson 3.0, she built this beast from the ground up, painted it pink with spray paint. I get home from seventh grade, I'm thinking, I got the summer ahead of myself, um, and she's like, we're driving to Texas to go see your aunt. I'm like, in what? Because that's not making it out of the county. Um, so we, we get in that car and we drive, and the car literally breaks down on the on-ramp um, that we, we want to get off. And it's a place called Weatherford, and we end up going to a place called Granberry, Texas. And there, my dad, he's in prison back here in the valley. Um, my mom's boyfriend comes, ends up meeting us up there later. My mom's boyfriend and my mom, and then now my other aunt and uncle, the ones who were, you know, you know, transferring propane by candlelight, they were there, um, and we stayed with them for the summer. Well, here's the thing: we're in Granbury, we have no money, we got, we got nothing. So um, they start, they start slanging again. Uh, well, they start selling drugs again. Slanging. Um, welcome to the hood. Um, so they start, they start selling drugs again. They're, they're not just doing that, but they're manufacturing it. Um, that's what my dad's in prison for. Well, they get caught, and I mean, this was, I've been in probably three or four drug busts at the time. This is the largest drug bust that I'd ever seen. They come rolling in, helicopters, everything, the whole deal. They take my mom's boyfriend, he gets 55 years in prison. My mom goes to prison. She ends up getting 10, works out a plea bargain deal. My aunt and uncle um, rat out both my mom and my boyfriend, so they get off scot-free. But my, my brother and my sister and I, I have a younger brother and sister, we go to a foster home there in Texas for the summer, and then into uh, eighth grade year. Uh, and we, we had spent some time in foster homes. Well, my dad gets out of prison here, and he comes and gets me, um, and he takes me back here, but he can't get my brother and sister because they have a different dad than I do who's in prison for murder, okay? So this is my life. Um, and, and so I come back here. My brother and sister have to wait until my mom gets out of prison, and uh, so I come here. This is about almost freshman year, and go to Shadowmont High, High School, go Matadors, and we, we um, go there. My dad is still doing math. We're in and out of some different houses, but, but here's where um, God is, is really awesome. Um, you tell me where you want me to stop in this story. I, I, want, I want to ask one clarifying question before you get to the story of when, when Jesus intervened in your life, okay? This is merely one manifestation of the type of war that we have with God, correct? It, 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 the, the, it's not that people who are on drugs and who are impoverished are the only people at war with God, right? This just happened to be your manifestation because you had parents who were seeking their identity, seeking their fulfillment in drugs, in this case, yeah, right? Yeah, and so. pleasure, I mean, this is, being around drug addict parents, it's not, like, it's, I was thinking, well, they didn't love me. I mean, they love me, you gotta understand, like, they love you, but they're at war with this idea, like, they're a slave, literally, uh, Titus 3, um, they're a slave to pleasures and passions, like, that it controls yeah. them, so that's a, you know, it's a good point, a great manifestation of what that looks like. Okay. Um, so yeah, so we, uh, I ended up coming back here, my, I'm staying with my dad, uh, my butter, my, my butter, my, my I like buddy, butter. <laughs> um, my buddy, who's a firefighter here in the valley right now, best friend growing up, uh, he was, we were, we were playing, he came over for the summer, it was the, the summer between my freshman year and sophomore year in high school, and we were playing video games, I've shared this story before, we were playing Twisted Metal, uh, classic. Um, and, uh, and, and so we're playing, and we played the whole game, and we said, we're not going to bet until we beat it. We beat the game, um, and his mom and my mom were really good friends growing up. And, and his mom died when we were 12 years old. She was also a drug addict. Um, and his mom used to tell him stories um, about the Bible, you know, about Revelation, um, 
she just tell the story over and over in the book of Revelation, but she was on meth, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's like Pink Floyd, the wall, it all made sense on meth. <laughs> and so, so, so he's, he begins to, after we're done, we lay down, he says, hey, Sean, do you think we're gonna go to heaven? And I, you know, I say, yeah, I, I think we're gonna go to heaven. And, um, you know, a good person, I, I just notch all these things on my belt. And he begins to unpack the book of Revelation the way his mom told it. So I'm, he's telling me about scorpions inside of men, the moon turning to blood. And I'm like, well, who are you right now? And he's like, all right, good night, bro. And I'm like, good night. Um, so I sleep that night. Uh, we get up, I wake him up at six, and I'm like, hey, bro, we're going to church, okay? So there's this little church down the road. We end up missing the morning service. So that night, we walk into church, and there will be 20 people in this um, hyper-charismatic church. Um, to this day, again, a part of the story that I've shared before is I'll never forget a maybe 60, 65-year-old woman, long white hair, her name was Grace, and she was just up front screaming. Um, and people every now and then are standing up waving flags, and I'm like, my right now. Um, and so they're going crazy, right? And she's just kind of like bracing your face, and we're like making fun of the whole situation. It was just a crazy deal. I don't know what happened, right? Um, but at the end of the service, I find myself at the front, and, and uh, Grace, who um, uh, we named Corbin, uh, his middle name, Luke, after her son, who, who discipled me. He was the first, first guy who ever discipled me. Um, we named his, his name that, and Grace, uh, still a good relationship with her, praise for me, and I accept Jesus Christ. And I remember, you know, I remember walking home, just floating, man. Um, I had taken, you know, so many showers up to my point, but I felt clean on the inside for the first time ever. And I remember going home and just gobbling up uh, the book of John and read the book of John maybe 40 times, you know, just trying to figure out what is, what is, I don't understand this whole deal, and, and Luke had helped with the processing a lot of that. And so from there, you got my, my life drastically changes from... Okay, I got to stop you there. Yeah, okay, because you said something in the middle of that, yeah. at, very quickly. Yeah. In the middle of that, sir, you, you were describing the service, and you said, uh, if, I, if I remember it correctly, you said, I don't know what happened, yeah. but I ended up at the front talking to Grace. Yeah. You don't know what happened, but you ended up at the front talking to Grace... And that's when Jesus intervened in your life, right? Yeah, so I mean that, so five, you gotta think five minutes prior, Eric and I were sitting in the back of the church and we're just making fun of the whole situation. Um, and Eric's home life was a little more stable than mine, but in regards to everything that Grace is talking about at this point, um, I mean, you gotta, I mean, we grew up in a culture where Jesus is just so there. We grew up in cars, you don't uh, have TVs, things aren't accessible like that. You're not hearing the name of Jesus. And my mom at the time is like this quasi-Jehovah's Witness, so everything's really mixed up for me. And so I hear her talking about this love of Jesus Christ, this, this, this guy who's in, who loves you, and, and it's just this weird thing, right? And so I come up say, yeah, like, I want to give my life to him. I want to know who this is. If this is as real as you talk, I want to know who he is. And so, you know, that's how that played out um, okay. spiritually. So when I give my life to, to Jesus Christ, um, I was going to move out. Um, I was 16 years old. I was just going to work through high school and get my own little um, pad somewhere over there by Shadow Mountain and work. But I was playing basketball at the time, and a buddy on the basketball team, his family adopted me. And so they um, still great friends. Francis James Powell is on me right now. Um, and so through my sophomore year to my senior year, I lived with this family who they adopted me. And um, I just, I worked on, you know, God was just, it, it's, everything's changing, right? Not just, not just spiritually, I'm, I'm trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out, but um, what home life looks like. So I'm not a dad who, who is exemplifying a, a true father figure, but I got this guy now named John, um, who my kids call Grandpa, who legitimately is, is, he's waking up at four, going to work, and he's getting back at six, and he's helping out around the house. This thing is weird. This isn't, 
this is, you know what I mean? So because meth life, it's, it's way different. You've got two weeks of, you're up, they're up cleaning the house. It's a clean, like, you've been scrubbing the counter for four hours. It's clean. And then, and then you got a month and a half of they're just asleep. So you're going to school on your own. You get yourself ready. It's just a different deal. And now there's this kind of regular system, and I'm learning what real home life looks like, being discipled in Christ. And so my life is completely different from, from point A to, to point B at that point. And then at the same time during school, I'm meeting my wife, uh, Candace, and things are awesome. You know, I meet her. We end up getting married in 2006. I become a pastor on staff at, at another church um, in Scottsdale. And, and so for 10 years, we did that. Candace and I, we have three kids now. Um, Corbin, who's five, Titus, who's three, and, and Eve, who is uh, six, six months. The thing about the whole deal, this just kind of puts some perspective on from what the old life looks like to the new life. My mom, my junior year in high school, and I, I say this because it's awesome to see a lot of this in Corbin, but her junior year, she taught, tested in the top 3%. Um, in the nation in her SAT. She was offered her junior year um, some Ivy League schools to, 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 um, to attend. Well, her junior year, after junior year, her mom and dad got a job uh, here in the Valley. They were in Nebraska, got a job here. And her senior year, she dropped out. So um, every, she threw all these things down the drain. Um, my dad never graduated high school. So I was the first kid, um, because my grandparents on both sides never graduated high school. I was the first kid in two or three generations to even graduate high school. Um, and so then when then you start thinking, like, college isn't everything that was normal family, like having kids, Jesus, like all these things, everything that, that seemed like that's not what life is going to be like, all of a sudden it's tangible. Um, it's this weird deal, man, that where God, I just put my trust in him, and I'm not like prosperity gospel, if you would just give, he's going to take care of you. But there's a lot of trusting in him and him working out things that brings peace that, um, otherwise, a drug addict um, kid, um, who grew up in the Sons of the Valley, I, I'm not sitting in front of people like you guys um, because of my own merit. So track with that for a little bit. That's God. Man. There, there's nothing I can do um, for that. So, Let me ask you something. I wasn't planning on asking you this, but I want to know. What brings you the greatest joy and what bring, breaks your heart? What brings you the greatest joy and what breaks your heart? Yeah. Um, the greatest joy right now, uh, if I could... I, so it's kind of, there's, there's a tension. I love doing right now, God laying on our hearts to plant a church about five years ago, coming to redemption, looking at that. Um, now kind of planting redemption communities on the west side, and, and, uh, and, and this brings joy, doing ministry, what God has called me to do. But if I could, I would just hang out all day with my family. Um, I love, I love talking to him today. My oldest son came today uh, with me, he can't come to the second service. He's just asking questions about God, and, and I love, I love talking about, um, Search schools up on the screen for some reason. Um, um, so I love talking about God, and, and then what breaks my heart? This is this is this is a weird deal. So some of you guys get this, right? Like we always struggle with why God's doing some things in our life. But understand this. Just just please hear this. Think about my story. Me standing in front of kids who are 15, 16, 17, 20, 25 years old, grown grown people, who I'm standing there and I say, and my parents were drug addicts. Okay. Um, I had this upbringing. Track with that and think about the doors that are open. So I hear these stories, these people that can relate to me, and it's tough, man. It's tough. I, it's, it's tough to hear their story and feel like I know what that hopelessness looks like. Um, and, and, and that's a big part of it. Um, so, so for me, the gospel is more, it's holistic. It's more than just, it just saves you. I mean, think about my story. God didn't just save my soul. He saved my life, my tangible life. Like, 
here I am. And so um, there's a big part of that, that the reason I want to plant a church, the reason we're doing redemption communities, the reason we proclaim the gospel is because it's bigger than just saving your soul, though it's a big part of it. And, and you are a wonderful example, apparently. I, I didn't really put this together until just now. You're a wonderful example of, 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 of really uh, uh, sort of stopping the generational sin, stopping that downward spiral. Yeah, yeah. And what did it was the gospel yeah, bringing you peace. Absolutely. That is awesome. Thank you, Sean, for sharing that with us. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Yeah. <clears throat> I wanted you to hear that because this is, this is what Paul is talking about in verse 1 of Romans 5. It's, about, it's not just about a cessation of the war. It's about everything that happens after peace enters life. It's about all of the good stuff that begins to happen as well. Let me read these two verses again for you. Spend a little bit more time unpacking verse 1, and then we'll be done. So he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through Him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace. I, that's an interesting little phrase that Paul uses there. This grace, this body of grace, this body of Jesus Christ. We'll unpack that a little bit more next week, but it's, it's wonderful. Into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Like I said, uh, verses, chapters 5 through 8 are about our security in Christ. And for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5, which is in a sense Paul's long introduction into this idea that we have complete unfettered security in God through Jesus Christ, through the justification that comes through faith. And the reason we have security in Christ is because of the supremacy of Christ. He's everything. You heard Sean say that. He's everything. He's bigger than we are. He's above everything else. And it's in every corner of our lives. It redeems everything. Sean, Sean wasn't just saved. His soul wasn't just saved. Literally, his life was saved. And now it's infecting every part of his life. If you don't know Sean and Candace and his family, they're a great family. An amazing family. His, just, just looking at his family is a testament to the power of the Gospel. And the first thing that Paul tells us is that because of this gospel, this justification by faith, we have peace with God. Now one of the things I, I, I feel like I need to do this morning is the New Testament talks about in Romans 5.1, peace with God, but it also talks about the peace of God. Sometimes we get those confused and think they're the same thing, and, and they're really not. They're both very good, and we want them both. But they're different, and I, and I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, Romans 5.1, peace with God, is not about how when something in life upsets us or we're getting anxious with life as life can do to us, it's not about how we take it to God and He gives us peace about it. That's what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4. Here's what he says in Philippians chapter 4 about the peace of God. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving in our hearts, let our requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's the peace of God. But Romans 5.1 is rather about the fact that we were at war with God because of our sin and because of the intervention of Jesus in our lives, we are now no longer at war with God. We have peace with God. Paul says it a little bit differently in chapter 1 of Colossians. He says this, You who were once alienated from God, at war with God, and you were hostile in your minds toward God, doing evil deeds, He, He has now reconciled us in His body of flesh by His death in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, before the Father. And so, as a result of that, we stand in grace, as Romans 5, chapter 2 tells us. We stand in in the body of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And, and the other thing about the peace with God, I try to paint a picture here, is peace with God is really about integrity versus disintegration. And when I use that word integrity, what I'm talking about is whole, complete, not lacking in anything. That's what integrity means here. Whole, complete, and not lacking in anything as opposed to being disintegrated, which means you're blown apart and fragmented. You are incomplete and you are lacking many things. That's the picture of the peace that we have with God. We've been made whole. We are complete we are not lacking anything when we are in Christ. Tyler said it this way three weeks ago. He said we have harmony with God. Harmony. Now both types of these peace are good and we want both. We want peace with God as well as uh, peace of, the peace of God. But the only way that we can have the peace of God is if we first have peace with God. If you don't first have peace with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, it's pretty hard to have the peace of God. In fact, it's impossible. Romans 5.1 comes before Philippians 4. Now, how do we have peace with God because of the Gospel? By faith, we embrace Jesus and live in submission to Him. And His atoning death and resurrected life become ours, which gives us forgiveness of sin and victory over death. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, His righteousness and holiness become ours and there is the peace. We were sinners, separated from God, at war with God. Now we have His righteousness and His holiness. When God sees us now, He sees Jesus, and that's what gives us peace. Uh, later on in Romans 13, we will eventually get there. Also in 1 Corinthians, and also in the letter that Paul writes to the church at Galatia, Paul tells us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on. Put Him on. 
to be absorbed into him, to be clothed and covered in Christ. And that ends the war, and that's what brings us peace with God. We've been, I just think back to my own life. I came to Christ when I was 27. I was putting on everything else other than Jesus. I, I was clothing myself in my own flesh, in my own desires. I was finding my identity literally in the way I would dress. I was so concerned about my selection of tie and shirt. I was finding identity in the way I would try to accessorize the rest of my life through my possessions and through the right relationships. We accessorize our bodies. We, we, we do all of these things. There were causes that I had that, that I was trying to clothe myself with. I was trying to clothe myself with my journey, my life journey, whatever that meant. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Put on Jesus. Put on Christ. And when you do, God no longer looks at us void of Jesus and sees somebody warring with Him and warring with ourselves because we're trying to be God ourselves. That's ultimately what we're trying to do. When we are without Christ and we are seeking our identity in something other than Christ, essentially what we're doing is we're saying, I'm God, I'm in charge. And that puts us at odds with Jesus. But now He looks and He sees the righteousness of Christ through our submission to Him and the war is over and that is really good news. And here's the irony about this particular war with God. Here's the irony. In earthly wars, when you surrender in an earthly war, usually that means a life of oppression, burden, and bondage for the surrendering party by the tyranny of the victorious party, right? Surrender is really a choice between in earthly wars between the lesser of two evils. That's essentially what you get. But when we surrender to God, our surrender gives us peace and freedom without the encumbrances of earthly treaties. We escape the tyranny of sin for peace with God when we surrender to Him. And rather than oppression, He gives us a mission and a purpose. He calls us to be His people. He calls us to His kingdom and he provides for us and he protects for us sometimes we have no idea how or why or if it even is working out that way but that's what he's doing and he desires that we have relationships and vocations and identities rooted in him because that is ultimately what's best for us and he provides that through jesus christ and that is good news and finally, because this is done for us by the infinite, eternal God, the security of this peace is final. It's enduring. It's, it's steadfast. It's secured. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we rejoice, as Paul says in verse 2. And here's what's interesting about that idea of rejoicing in verse 2. It is not a command for us to rejoice. Rather, Paul is simply describing a fact of life when you're at peace with God. It's just a fact of life that if you're at peace with God, you are going to rejoice. And so as God's people, we are, we are people who rejoice. We are people who celebrate the gift that He has given to us. And then the implication 
The implication of this piece is then listed for us in verses 2 through 5. Let me just read that for you. Paul says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that's what we're going to look at next week. Verses 2-5, through and we're going to talk about this grace in which we now stand. We're going to talk about hope. The hope in the glory of God. We're going to talk about why we rejoice. We're going to talk about suffering character and endurance we're going to talk about the gospel let me pray god we thank you that you have given us this great gift that we can now have peace with you through our lord jesus christ through the justification that he brings through our faith in him god we thank you for that God, this should be a time of celebration and rejoicing as we hear about the blessings that you have for us. So God, let us rejoice. Let us celebrate. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.